Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We're good. We're good. Awesome. Well, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the student and young adult pastor here at CIL, and I'm here to bring the word this morning. If you want to, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and title it, Who's at the Door? Who's at the Door? Uh, but man, I, I realized something uh, in my life as I've gotten older, and especially as I've had uh, a family of my own, is that every family kind of has something that's a little bit weird about them. Um, and, you know, we can judge other families. We shouldn't, but we do, <laughs> about like what's weird about them. But the truth is, is that we all have something. Uh, and, and I'm going to admit to you what, what one of the things that we have that's a little bit weird uh, about our family. And I don't think most of you will think it's weird. I just think a couple of you will. Um, and if you have a problem with it, it doesn't matter. So um, one thing we love in the Sagas household is scaring the living daylights out of one another. Uh, and we do it all the time. It's just always happening. Every chance I just did it yesterday, I hid behind the car. I'm pretty sure my neighbors thought that I was about to kidnap my wife. Um, and uh, it doesn't work that way. But, but uh, you know, it, it's really, it, it's, a, it's a process that I've come to love. Um, and the truth is, when I say we love it, I love it. So, like, we like scaring, I like scaring, uh, and it's just something I love to do. And, and uh, you know, you might be sitting there and you're, you're going, yeah, but, like, he's not mean enough to do that to his babies, like, to his toddlers. But that's where you're wrong. Um, <laughs> because I love to do it to my kids. And I've done it, I've done it to our nine-month-old. I don't know why. Um, it's just something in me, man. It's the way the Lord created me. So you can talk to him. Um, but as, uh, as I've continued this over the years, and it's gotten uh, worse, I have one video uh, that I captured, and it's my favorite. Not because it's, it's not the best scare, um, it's just the face uh, that you will see on the video. So I want to go ahead and, and, and let's just play the first one. Yeah, yeah, so... Most of those scares in our old place came when crew was taking a bath. Um, and then I think we should take a look at it again, just in a little bit in slow-mo. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. And she's so nice to laugh about it. Like, I feel like most people would get killed. So, um, I'm so I'm so thankful we have this little thing in our house. And some people think it's a little bit weird, but I, I just think uh, it's fun. Uh, now, the truth is most of the scares come when she's just not paying attention uh, or crew is not paying attention uh, or they're about to round a corner or something like that. But, but also, there are times uh, where I have to plan it out. Um, and that includes me hiding in very precarious places for extended periods of time. Um, there have been several times where I've hid in one place for probably like 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, and you're going, do you have anything better to do with your time? The answer is no. Um, because it really is, it's like that worth it to me. It is that worth it to me to scare them. I mean, I don't know if you can see the look on Crew's face in that video, but it was a look of uh, terror. Um, why do I like that? Uh, but it was a look of terror and also like complete betrayal. Like you are supposed to care for me and you're doing this. And so uh, I just, I love doing it. 
Um, and there's just something about like hiding and waiting to scare somebody. And it's a special moment when you get them really, really good. And I get Brooke good, pretty, you know, most of the time. She doesn't get me good. Yeah, she gets mad about it. Um, but I just don't flinch. On the inside, I cry. Um, but I just don't flinch on the outside. So the truth is you get me, okay? Um, but, you know, we actually, uh, you're going to go, only a youth pastor would make this connection with Scripture, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's actually a scripture um, that gives us this person or this figure that does a similar thing, that crouches and waits. It crouches and waits for opportunities to pop up, to attack, right? It's opportunistic. And it's not like me where it's just for a good surprise that lasts a couple seconds, Uh, but it's to take advantage. It's to take control. Um, And so go ahead and and go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. And uh, we're we're reading right after the story of Cain and Abel, right? And and Abel gives a sacrifice to the Lord that is pleasing to the Lord. And Cain, not so much. And and I think it's kind of easy to say it this way for me, and, and I could be wrong, but this is the way I like to say it. Uh, Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God because it was an actual sacrifice, because it actually cost him something. Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing to God because it wasn't an actual sacrifice. It didn't cost him what it cost Abel. And so God was not pleased. And so, uh, and so Cain is actually frustrated and he's angry in the moment. He's angry at two. He's angry at his brother because his brother is being favored. So he's angry at him, but he's also angry at God because God is not pleased with him. And so the word you see is uses the word frustration in the translation we're going to read. And it also uses this word despondent. And the interesting thing about that is that means brought low. So his countenance as he's frustrated is brought low. So let's go ahead and read together starting in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And listen to this. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And I think the most powerful part about the scripture that we're reading is that there is an actual personification of sin. Like, it makes sin seem like a person or a figure And I think one of our problems is that when we think about sin, a lot of times we just think of it as something that we do. And it's not simply something that we do, or or more importantly for us, it's something that we don't want to do, but it's more than this. It's actually been ingrained in the human image, that it is so deep within us. It is such a natural part of us, and that we've become broken, we've become blind to our selfish desires. And so we would like to think that we can see it all the time, but the truth is, is that we twist our desires to be good. We twist them. We're really good at it. It's just the truth. Or let me say it this way. I'm really good at it. I can tell you that. I can sell myself on stuff all the time and think that it's good when it's really damaging sometimes for me and for the people around me. So we've twisted our desires to be good. A good example of this is actually uh, uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, in Luke 9, 54. Right, And so we see this moment where Jesus is setting course for Jerusalem and he sends messengers ahead to go ahead and prepare a place. And so they go, but the Samaritans, they don't want Jesus to rest there because he set his sight for Jerusalem. So they don't want that. They don't want him there. 
And this is the thing. James and John's reaction is an interesting one. So, yeah, you might be a little offended, but in verse 54, they, this is their response. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? First off, a little quick on the draw. Like, it's like, you hurt my feelings? Fire. Like, that's, that's a lot. Although I want to do that to my kids sometimes. But um, it, it's interesting to me that Jesus' response is love, but because there's this disagreement, because there's an offense, immediately they think that this is a holy action. This is the right response. This is actually good. This is actually what Jesus would want. This is what our teacher would want us to do. But the reality is that they had twisted what was good. They had twisted their desires to seem good. And this is the personified sin. This is sin crouching at the door, waiting for our twisted desires to take advantage. It crouches at the door in deception, right? It tricks, it waits, it waits for a moment that we think something's good and we, we, we go for it and, and there it is. There's this, this, it's almost this picture of like a vicious animal waiting outside the door. And it, and it is, it's intense. And we've gotten really good at um, naming obvious sins. And the truth is, uh, most of the time, those obvious sins is us naming everybody else's sin. Um, and we could talk about that another day. But it's true. We're, we're really good at naming other people's obvious sins and not so much the sin that's at work within us, the, the evil desires uh, that can be at work within us. But what if I told you that sin wasn't so obvious all the time? Like, what if it wasn't so clear cut? That like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that choice right there, yeah, that thing I want to do, that's not pleasing to God. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. James 1, 14 to 15, we have that. Go ahead and read this with me. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So where does it start? It starts in our desires. See, Adam and Eve, they had the desire for more, the desire to be more, the desire for more power, the desire to be something. And the truth is, it didn't look bad. It looked good. The enemy made it look really enticing. And like, it made sense. Said, why, why wouldn't we eat from this tree? Why wouldn't we partake? It's going to make us more. And it's always funny to me when people go back, like, I, I, I don't know, maybe people don't talk this way anymore, but when I was a kid, um, everybody used to be like, man, Adam and Eve, they really messed it up for us. <laughs> it's so funny to me, man. Like, we would do the same thing. This rebellious thing in us that wants more, it wants to be more. It doesn't like the way God initially created us for him, for his good pleasure, to honor him, to walk with him, to submit to him. And we're always like, man, if Adam and Eve just didn't do that, we'd be perfect. We'd be pure-minded, pure motivations. Everything would be good. We'd be walking around naked because it wouldn't be offensive. I don't understand why people focus on that. Um, it was a little weird, but yeah. But the truth is, if we can go back a little bit to this idea that, that sin does not announce itself. It doesn't let us know that it's coming. It doesn't let us know where it's hiding. And if we go back even further to me talking about me scaring my wife, 
I don't go and find this hiding place, and it's really good, and it's going to be a great scare. And then when I hear her about to round the corner, I go, hey, I just want to let you know I'm going to scare you. Um, it's going to be really good, but I don't want you to be surprised at my surprise. It, does, it doesn't work that way. That's not what it looks like. And so sin is not announcing itself. It's not wanting you to be prepared. It doesn't want you to be able to look with this perspective, this godly perspective and say, Lord, lead me in this. Help me, Lord. I, I see. I see where my desires are bringing me. I see my struggle. I want you to transform me. I want you to help me in this moment. It doesn't want you to know. It wants you to think that you've got everything under control. You've got everything under control. And I think that's one of the biggest lies that we could believe is that we have everything under control. Y'all, I don't have anything under control. And that's a problem for me. That's a problem for me personally. And Paul, he actually confronts uh, false teachers in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Right? And he says this. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is of no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So he, evil does not look evil. It, it, I feel like this is such a simple thing that Scripture tells us that if we just got this, sin is not obvious. Evil is not obvious. It looks enticing. It looks good. You know, uh, my wife, Brooke, she started um, doing some furniture flipping, and it's new for her, and she, you're doing a great job. I love them. Um, but one of the things that she didn't know about was the thin tops of veneers, wooden veneers on the top of these pieces. And, you know, when people sell them, they're like, it's solid wood. It's great. And so she took the first piece home, and she started sanding it, and she's just trying to sand it to the way she wants it. She wants it to be perfect. But she didn't know that just underneath this small layer is like all this nasty particle board and MDF that just messes up the project. It, you, you, it's hard to repair, um, in my opinion. Some of you master craftsmen are like, no, it's not. I would just do it. Good. You can come over. Um, but it's difficult. It, it makes the project more difficult. And the truth is, when she's looking at that, she's going like, man, I'm going to make this look real nice. I can work on this as much as I want to. It's going to be good. And then quickly, that whole thing can be ruined. And man, that's what sin does. It entices us and it says, hey, this choice over here, this is for you. This is for, in fact, it's interesting where it says, its desire is for you. Let's just get it straight. It's not for you to win. It's for you because it wants to have you. Sin wants to have you. And it's just like that thin veneer where you think it's good and you start, you start moving toward this. You start engaging with thoughts. You start engaging with desires. And soon enough, you realize that the good of this was real thin to begin with. And it doesn't last as long as you thought it was. And it has different results. Because sin is the enemy crouching at the door looking for an opening. But this is what's beautiful about Scripture. Is that while one is crouching... Another is standing and knocking. While one is crouching, another is standing and knocking. Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus says this, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door, knocking. He doesn't need to hide. He doesn't need to deceive you. He is truth itself. 
And so the beauty is that truth is at the door. Love is at the door wanting to come in and impact you and change you. And guess what? Protect you. Protect you. When we don't let Jesus in, there is a lack of protection because, again, we don't have it under control. See, while sin is crouching, God tells Cain this. He says, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Can I tell you something about that word desire? So that word desire actually refers to the same passionate romance between a husband and a wife. And so the author's trying to get us to understand sin has a deep longing for you. It has a deep passion to control you and to take advantage of you and manipulate you and have you, right? That's the passion it has for you. It is that deep. And so it had that deep desire for Cain. And that's why Cain was to rule over it, but he did it. Rather than ruling over it, it ruled over him. And so the question is, how, how do I rule sin? How do I rule that, that, that wicked thing that's waiting at the door, it's crouching, it's waiting for opportunities in my life? I mean, the, the beauty is that the answer is simple in one way, and that is Jesus. Jesus is that's why he's standing at the door knocking because he wants to be the solution. Not the solution to make you feel better. The solution to be the Lord of your life, that you honor him, that he has you. You are in his protection. See, through Christ, you are more than a conqueror. Do we forget that sometimes? That we don't, see, some of you are like, well, what, this, this sermon is making me think about all the ways in which sin is after me, and now I'm living scared. But those who are in Jesus don't have to be scared. Those are who in Jesus are not controlled by sin. So while it might be waiting, the beauty is that Jesus is there to conquer sin in your life. And you are a co-heir with Christ by his grace. And so there is authority that you carry because you're an ambassador of heaven. And so we don't live scared of sin, but we live wise to sin. We live aware of sin. Verse 21, right? So Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And then verse 21, it says this, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus wants you to sit with him. And that is the authority. That is the conquering spirit that you have within you. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives in you to overcome sin. When we respond to the knock of Jesus and allow him in, we overcome. We overcome. And, and, you know, if we really want to go deeper into this verse for a second, it's not strictly this, this verse where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. It's not strictly talking about, like, the door of our personal hearts. He's actually talking to the church. And the specific church is the church of Laodicea. And these people, they have material wealth, they have all this, the earthly gain. They've got the answers, man. And Jesus says, I'm standing at the door knocking. Because this church, they knew about Jesus. They knew the truth. They knew aspects of the gospel message. But they never actually allowed Jesus in to transform their desires. They never actually allowed Jesus to come in, renew their mind, give them a new heart. That's why Isaiah talks about I need a new heart, a new heart, one that's not hungry for all the things, but one that just wants you. I just want you, Jesus. 
And so Jesus is standing at the door knocking, and guess what? So far, his church was not responding. They wanted their way. They thought they had the wealth they needed. They thought they had the answers that they needed. And while their material gain increased, their obedience to Christ decreased directly. And I just want to clarify, this could offend me. I want, I want to be clear here. I do not think that just because you have material gain means that you are not obedient to Jesus. Just hear me say that. But in this case, this is what we're seeing. They had put their trust in material gain and earthly gain, right? And their selfish desires to have more. And if we take this seriously today, to know that Jesus is standing out the door and knocking out of love and out of truth, then I think it seriously transforms us because we begin to stop trusting in our own ways as a church, corporately, to respond to the knock of Jesus. He's at the door. Let's open it. Let's stop trusting in our own ways. Let's stop trusting in God of materialism. Let's stop trusting in the God of social standing. How much of our lives are impacted by the way we feel like people feel about us? It's so dictating of the way that we live political figures. Who are they to Jesus? They're nobody. They're nobody to Jesus. Stop trusting the God of comfort. What a com comfort, man, every time I've strived for comfort, in about a week I'm striving for it again. It's such a temporary God and such a temporary fill. And Jesus is saying, serve me. Let me in. Let me be the Lord of your life. Man, is it possible that we've just followed the same exact path as Adam and Eve and the same exact path of Cain when we say, like, I know better. I know what I need. I want more. Will we really believe that our way is higher than God's? And, and I realize that we wouldn't say that. Like, I, I, I doubt any of us in this room would say, my way is higher than God's. But sometimes our lives reflect it. And if I can be honest with you, sometimes my life, let me talk about me, my life can reflect that sometimes. That I believe that sometimes, if you look at my life, you would go, man, he thinks, he thinks that his way is higher than God's. And you know, also, it really questions, like, what do we believe about Scripture? What do we believe about what this says? And I can stand up here and I can tell you this, that I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, that it is, when translated correctly, it is everything that we need, everything that we need. It is perfect and whole. Thank you, God. But man, can I also tell you that while I can stand up here and say that, there was also a few weeks ago when I was in this moment with my father on the phone, and, 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 and just so you know, you don't have to know this, but um, my dad and I talked every day, um, and I'm so appreciative for that in my life. So if you're a young kid in here, do not, do not take for granted the relationship that you have with your father. Um, and so anyways, I'm on the phone with him, and I'm struggling because I'm trying to control this situation. And I know none of you try to control stuff, just me, but I'm trying to control the situation, and, and he's like giving me scripture. And you want to know what I said? Here I am, pastor speaking a message, and I said this, Dad, I know all that. I've heard it. I don't need to hear more of it. That's not helping me right now. So then he moved to just encouraging me and just giving me words that he felt like were for me from the Lord. And you know what I said? Dad, like, you've said that to me before. 
I know it. I already, I already know that's true, but right now I don't feel it. And it feels like it doesn't matter to me in this moment because I want more. I want to control the situation. At that time, all I was hungry for was not obedience to the Lord. I was hungry for control. I was hungry for the situation to turn out the way that I wanted it to. And if I'm being honest, I'll probably be that way at some point in the next two or three days. Because, y'all, I like control. I like control. It's a problem that I have. I mean, I, I wanted more, and the reality is that as I pursued that, what that more looked like, sin was crouching at the door. Sin was crouching at the door for me to give in to my desires, and my desires to give in to sin, right? And so I begin to give in to these things. And the truth is that there is a way that seems right to a man, right? And then, and then scripture says this, that a man plans out his path. He plans out his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so maybe what that looks like for us is, yes, you can have desires of what you want your life to look like. You can say, man, this is what I, what I want for our family. This is what I want with my friendships. This is what I want for my church. This is what I want, I want, I want. And maybe that's okay. But at the end of the day, man, look down at where God has you stepping right now and trust him. Like trust that this step is exactly where he has me, is exactly where he needs me, and more importantly, exactly where he is. That's all I want right now, to be exactly where he is. Because sin is crouching and waiting. We think we've figured it out. We think we've addressed the problem. We think we know what's fair. We think we know what's good, not just for us, but for everybody else. We're always in everybody else's business. We think we know what's good. And my, my father uh, has a story about a friend of his. Uh, they used to be staff pastors at a church in Virginia Beach. Um, and they were doing uh, intercessory prayer one morning. And he's praying, his best friends in the group. It's a big group praying. It is a really intense story, but... Uh, he feels the Lord speak to his heart that sin is crouching at his door, at his friend's door. And so he waits till they're done with prayer. And he goes and he pulls them aside and he says, hey, man, I, I know that you could take this wrong and I don't want to offend you. But I feel like the Lord spoke to me today and told me that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. And immediately the response is emotional. And his friend looks at him and he goes, Chris, I was about to go down to the beach today to be on a date with another woman other than my wife. And you saying this to me shows me exactly that God knows exactly where I am. He knows what I need. He knows my issues. He knows. And this is the thing, though. Y'all, this man could have justified. I'm not using a name, obviously. This man could have justified somehow that decision. Somehow. Because he had a rough home life with his wife. He was constantly disrespected and, and undervalued and, and, and made fun of. And so you know what the selfish desire does? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. God can't, God can't want that for me. So you know what? This, this thing, this, this option to go meet another woman, this is actually good. This is good. Because God wants me to be cared for. And she cares for me more than my wife. 
You see the problem? You see the deception? How sin is crouching at the door? And just so you know, I know like, man, one time I forgot to tell you guys the punchline of a story and it was just really, you were like, what happened? (laughs) Um, But he didn't end up going through with it. And he, you know, he called off the, the date and everything and and there's something special about that that you can see. First off, the accountability that the church can have for one another when we are open and honest about what God is doing with us corporately as a whole. There's, there's power in that. But man, his, his heart told him that something else was right. And if he went through with it, it would have been a deep offense to not only God, but a, but a, a woman in his life, whether she disrespected him or not, didn't matter. It didn't matter. And so sin was crouching at his door, and, and by the grace of God, I didn't go through with it. But here's, here's what I've learned, um, and don't follow through with all the time, but here's what I've learned. Jesus wants to make a home while sin wants to destroy a home. And I'm not just talking about the family home, okay? I'm talking about your home, like your life. Jesus wants to come in and make a home out of love and truth and grace and mercy, fixated on who he is, fixated on his identity. And sin wants to come in and destroy it and run amok and control and manipulate you and break everything in your life. But it looks good at the start. First Peter 5, 6 to 8 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. In verse 8, let's focus on this. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. See, and we, we, see, the, we see the word roaring, and we go like... This is the thing, that's just a descriptor descriptor of the ferocity of the lion. But you want to know what the active verb is? Prowling. What is prowling? Prowling's quiet. Prowling's stealthy. You don't know. I mean, I used to freak out as a kid. Like, I used to think that there were lions in my woods. Um, And uh, this is totally not in my notes, so I apologize. But I used to freak out because I was like, man, I've seen them on TV, and they're so good at being quiet. And they're in my woods somewhere in Connecticut. <laughs> Some of you are like, you live in Africa? Nope. Um, I mean, I'm, like, I thought they were about to attack me. But the, 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 the silence of them terrified me as a kid. I was like, gosh, that's crazy. That something so ferocious can be so quiet. And that's what sin is doing. That's what evil is doing. That's what the adversary is doing. He's prowling around looking for who is weak. And not, that doesn't mean that it's just you. It's all of us. We all have the capacity to give in to weakness. That's why he says be sober-minded, be alert. Who will you open the door to today? Who will you open the door to today? Who will I open the door to today? I mean, it's time we started trusting in God's word and trusting in his Holy Spirit to keep us and his Holy Spirit, as I said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the, day, from the dead is at work in you and at work in me to keep us. But man, if we just focused on this, how could like this perspective and this truth change our obedience to God? How could it do that? 
And this is how. When you feel unsettled in your marriage, rather than believing that he or she is your enemy, you realize this truth, that sin is crouching at the door. When you feel a desire to fulfill um, like a need for romance, because there's this hole in your life and you feel this passion, but it's not being filled. And so you think, you know, for one moment, if I just go fill that with pictures and videos, that those things, that it won't hurt anybody. But instead you realize that sin is crouching at the door. When you're angry at work, rather than holding someone in less regard to others, you realize that sin is crouching at the door. And I have a really important one today, and this is so on my heart. Husbands and wives, rather than thinking, speaking negatively of your spouse is just part of the group dynamics. Sin is crouching at your door. Don't give in to what just seems like it's ineffective. Don't give in to what doesn't seem so hurtful and so harmful. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Be wise to sin. Don't be fearful of it. Be wise to it through the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And some of us need to respond to God's word today in this way. I know I do. I know I do. And this is, and this is how I know is that even this week, isn't it this way? Whenever I'm preparing a sermon, it's like I'm asking God to test me in it. And this week as I'm writing this, and I'm, I'm so excited, and, and, you know, and, and I'm really excited about it. And next thing you know, a problem arises. And it's really not that big of a problem, but it feels massive. It feels like it's going to eat my lunch, man. And the truth is that I let it. And it made me angry. Like this thing, it made me, it made me angry. And, uh, and I, if I'm being honest with you, that sin probably for a moment led, or sorry, that that desire, that anger led to a desire which then led to sin in one moment. And some of you are like, you can't say that from the pulpit. <laughs> That's, that thing wants me. Like sin wants me. Its desire is for me. And so when I give in to it, and I don't see, I just, here's how I see. I feel this. So I just respond to how I feel. I respond to my emotions like James and John. I respond to, to the emotions that are leading me. And man, there was a moment where I failed because of frustration and anger. Kind of sounds like Cain. <laughs> and this is the beauty though. See, because we could leave today just going like, sin is the boogeyman and I can't let it rule over me. But man, I've done it. I've let it rule over me. And the beauty was that the grace of Jesus covered me immediately. Immediately. So don't, don't live in guilt of the areas that you're struggling with. Don't live in shame. Don't live in condemnation, but rather receive the grace of Jesus because grace is not just a cover. It's the power to continue. It's the power to walk in Jesus' way. It's the power to walk in the light. And so for me, I had this moment where, where I realized, like, it, it was almost as quickly as I did it, the Lord, the Holy Spirit just met me right there. And I felt the grace of Jesus. 
And then I just watched how my mind, it's like, it's like something just melted. Like the offense, the anger, it just melted. And that's not magic, that's love. That's love at work in you. That's love at work in me. And man, how grateful can Cain be, or can we be? We look at Cain's story, but you know what's different? That we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. The Spirit of God alive and moving in your life to guide you to every good work, to every good work, to honor God in everything, to live for Him. Man, it's powerful. What would it look like if we just started praying on a regular basis, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I don't want to give in to these desires. I don't want to give in to my emotions. I don't want to be led by anything but your spirit. Lead me, Lord. Keep me. And we need that today and every day. We need it for our families. We need it for our workplaces. We need it for our spouses. We need it for our friends. We definitely need it for our enemies. You will have enemies but the Holy Spirit will lead you to treat them a lot differently than you want to and than I want to. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. Come and have your way, Lord. Come and have your way. Illuminate the dark, the dark areas that we've hidden, the areas that we've twisted the truth of what our lustful desires have been, our sinful desires have been, and we've made them look good. Lord, expose sin crouching at the door today so we can realize that some of the areas that we've just naturally been functioning in are not the way, are not the way you've called us to live, are not what you have for us, are not your instruction for our lives. Expose them, Lord, and crush those works, crush the works of the enemy in our lives. Lord, as you stand and knock on your church's door, I pray we'd open the door. I pray that we would let you, Jesus, be the the focus of your church. Not practices, not rules, not regulations, not doctrine, but instead you, Jesus. If we truly fix on you, all the other things will be taken care of. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.